right. Welcome to One Church. Um, I tell you, we're going to finish our series today entitled Movement. And I hope you guys have really enjoyed this because we've really talked a lot about what our church is about and especially and specifically the DNA of why we do what we do. But even more importantly than that, we've been wanting to look at the bigger church and the broader church and the church as it got started in the book of Acts. Before I dive into that, I want to tell you a few things. Next week, we are starting a new series. You just saw a little bit about a little bit taste of it. It's entitled um, Icebreakers. And we're talking about how we can be able to kind of talk to people about Jesus and, and, and share our faith. And it's going to be really fun. Really excited about that. And then after that, we're starting a new series entitled At the Movies, which is really, really fun. Uh, We're going to have a great time with that. I also want to let you know of a couple of other things. Uh, Just as we're starting a new, um, actually a new series next week, we're going to start with new times next week. Starting next Sunday and going through the very beginning of August, we are going to combine our 9 and 11 o'clock services to 11 o'clock. All right, and we're doing this for a lot of different reasons, but one of the reasons is um, you guys that show up at 9 o'clock, you don't even know who shows up at 11. And the people 11, you don't even know who shows up at 9. So we're going to kind of combine you guys so that you can be able to kind of see the rest of the church. And it's going to be really fun. I'm going to go ahead and warn you, it's going to be packed. Um, we really don't do this. We've really never done this before. We don't know the wisdom of it. So um, our parking lot's going to be full. This is going to be full. So if you normally come at 9 o'clock, if you show up next Sunday at 9 o'clock, you get to be a part of the setup and teardown team. I'm just letting you know. So um, 11 o'clock worship service uh, starting next Sunday, and it's going to be going for about 10 weeks. And then in the fall, come August, we're going to go back to our two services, 9 and 11. So just want to give you guys a heads up. And then lastly, uh, this Wednesday, uh, if you volunteer here at One Church, uh, if you're a part of the, the team of serving uh, in whatever capacity, we're going to invite you to a meeting on Wednesday night at our church offices. And you should have gotten an email about that. If you'd like some more information, you can come up and talk to me afterwards. So anyway, all right, let's dig in and let's look at where we've been in this series because I I have really, my favorite book in the Bible is the book of Acts. I got a lot of favorite books. Um, so I say that about almost every book except the book of Nahum. Um, I'm just telling you. Um, so anyway, what we're going to do is um, we're going to kind of give you a broad picture of where we've been because we said that in, in week one that the reason why we started one church, we realized one thing, the Clarksville didn't need another church. Right? I mean, there was Assembly of God churches, Nazarene churches, Baptist churches, Presbyterian churches, Catholic churches. In fact, many of you, you had to drive by five churches just to get here to come to a church that meets in a school. I mean, how odd is that? But here's the thing we realized five and a half years ago when we started one church. Is even though Clarksville didn't need another church, we wanted to start and we wanted to create an environment where the 88% of people in Clarksville that do not go to church can show up and be able to hear that God is madly in love with them and not mad at them. That we want to create an environment where they can be able to come and relate. And uh, so many times, again, I've grown up in the church. And, I've, and, and I love the church. But one of the things that bothered me so much is that 88% of people in Clarksville, that's 119,000 people. That's 9 out of 10 homes that you pass by. That 9 out of 10 homes choose not to go to church. And that bothers me because I believe that the church and God's people should be the most creative, rambunctious, fun people in the world. 
All right. But when most people, when they think of the church, that's not what they think about. Right. So we wanted to start creating environments that really got people to change their perspective. Number one of who God is. But number two, who the church can be. So um, our whole premise behind that is we wanted to create a church where unchurched and de-churched people love to attend. Unchurched people never been to church. De-churched people said, I've been to church and I'm not going back. That was week one. Week two, we looked at the premise that we will do anything short of sin to lead people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. That it's our intention, it's our goal that for somebody to drive up on our campuses, turn off a song, and then come in in here, and they actually are listening to the same song in here, or we're playing the same song, and it maybe not even be Christian song. Because here's the thing that we've realized. that in So many times we say something is Christian or something is non-Christian. Here's the thing. Truth is, all, I mean, all truth is God's truth. So it's not just a Christian and non-Christian. If truth points people to God, then we will use anything short of sin to be able to do that. Last week, my good friend Luther and I, we hung up. How many of y'all enjoyed that last week? How many of y'all heard it enjoyed it? Did Luther did a great job? And I love it, dude. Um, one of the things we looked at last week is that God wants to use anyone and everyone regardless of their past. And that God wants to use anyone and anyone to be able to make a difference. So that's huge. So our goal, as we've kind of gone through this, is I want you guys to realize that, you know what? The church, that just as Jesus left the 99 found to go after the one lost sheep, that our goal here at One Church is to leave the 12 found in order to go after the 88 lost. I totally believe that. And, uh, and, and sometimes, you know, it, it gets a little uncomfortable here. And someone's like, yeah, I don't, they may have pushed the envelope too far. Um, but you need to know we are willing to do anything short of sin to be able to get people in here and not just fill a room. It's more than that. But um, we want people to come in and be able to hear that God loves them and that they can connect with a heavenly father that made them and a son that died for them. Now today, here's what we're going to do. We're gonna, I just want to give you a, a, a taste, if you will, of where we're going. Because so many times, our greatest potential for growth isn't fighting over the 12 found. You see, a lot of people, they see churches in competition with one another. And I don't believe that we're supposed to be in competition with any church. We're supposed to be all completing the mission that Jesus gave us. What was Jesus' mission? To seek and to save that which was lost, Luke 19.10. So our goal isn't to compete and fight over the 12 people that are going to go to church. Our goal is to do and be willing to do anything to be able to get the 88 people out there, the 88%, the 119,883 people to be able to show up at a church and realize in their own language and their own words that God longs to have a relationship with him. Now, here's the thing. Where we're landing today is I want to challenge each and every one of us to move from being a consumer to a contributor. Let me explain what I mean that. The consumer, you know, there's a lot of benefits to following Jesus. A lot of benefits. And if you're new here and maybe if you're not a Christian, I'm so glad that you showed up today because you need to know there's a lot of benefits for following Jesus. At onechurch.tv, we talk about those benefits 
all the time because there are a lot of benefits, again, to doing things his way. Uh, um, we we want to help people find their way back to God, and, and we want to help. In fact, I love that word help because the, one of the names of God is helper. The Holy Spirit, one of the names that is given to him is helper. And just as the Holy Spirit comes alongside us and helps us, that we want to be able to help people. And I tell you, when you start doing life God's way, it's a, it's a huge help. You're going to realize that, um, okay, I know how relationships work. God says that. And if you do relationships his way, because he invented them, it's going to work. God is saying to us this morning, I know how finances work. And if you do finances my way, um, then you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna figure it out. I know how marriage works. And because God knows how marriage works, and if you do marriage his way, because he invented it, it's going to work for you. In fact, did you know that God invented sex? Can I say that? I don't even know if I can. Some of you thought Katy Perry invented it. No, not at all. God invented sex. All right? I got to be careful because we got some of our kids in here today. And somebody go, Mommy, what? And I just don't even want to go there, Okay. I'm just telling you, but if you do things God's way, there are benefits to that. But let me tell you, there, even, though, even though there's huge benefits to following Jesus, there comes a point in our journey where God, where being a Christ follower, even though it's tremendously helpful, it's going to get hard. It is. And while it's tremendously helpful, all of us are going to have to come to a place where we're going to have to give something up, where it actually costs you to follow Jesus, and that will be hard. And when you get to that moment, it becomes an all-in moment. It becomes a defining moment for each and every one of you. Christianity is an all-in relationship where it will cost you something. And when you get to that moment, your decision and your response will say a lot of things about your relationship with Jesus. It will say two things. It will say, will you continue to be a consumer? Or... Will you become a follower? Will you become a contributor? Will you follow Jesus? It's all about consumer or contributor. Now, here's the thing. Uh, here's what I know about you and me. All of us are consumers, all right? In fact, as we leave here today, you guys are probably going to go somewhere. You're going to eat either at home or and you're going to consume food. And there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. In fact, we consume stuff in church. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. We say, wow, you know, I started doing things God's way and my marriage is better. I'm out of debt. I've learned that purity paves the way to intimacy in our marriage. I mean, look at all the cool things that the Bible says. Look at the cool things that Jesus has teach me. But here's the thing. There will come a point in everybody's journey, a moment that we are going to have to choose. Will I just be a consumer or will I'll be a contributor. Will I just follow Jesus from what I can get from him? Or will I follow Jesus even though it may cost me something? This happened to a guy in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 4 verse 32. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn them. By the way, we give away our Bibles for free here at One Church because we want people to connect with God and how you do that through the Bible. So if you want to go out those doors, you can grab those. Um, so if you have your U version. Go ahead and start turning there. Acts chapter 4, all right? And I love this because the book of Acts is all about the church getting started and finishing Jesus' mission. By the way, you know, all of these other books in the Bible have an ending. Do you know the book of Acts doesn't have an ending? The book of Acts is still being written. You want to know how? Because the church is still here. 
How many of y'all are the church? All right, some of you are like, should I raise my hand? Absolutely, you should raise your hand. It is still being written. And I love that, that you and I have the potential of being Acts 29. By the way, there's 28 chapters in the, books of, in the book of Acts. We're the 29th. You're living it. It's really, really cool. But let's look at Acts chapter 4, verse 32. And let's look at the characteristic of this first church of what started this movement. Not an institution, but a movement. 432 says this. All the believers were what? One. One in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared how much? Everything that they had. Let me tell you, one of the, 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 the best marks of a great church, and of a healthy church, is unity. That they were one heart and one mind. Many times when we think of a church, we think of an activity. We don't think of unity. We think of an activity. We think of preaching. We think of Bible study. We think of Sunday school. We think of small groups. We think of an activity. But really, the, a healthy church is marked by unity. I love that Um, because many times churches, did you know many times churches aren't started because everybody got together and they were unified and said, hey, let's go start a church. Let me tell you how most churches are started. They're started because people can't get along with one another. Anybody ever heard of anything like that? I have, right? Most churches, they're not started by unity. They're started by disunity and they couldn't get along with somebody. So they decided, you know what? Well, forget you. And they're going to go out and they start a a, a second Presbyterian church or a third Baptist church or fourth Methodist church because most churches aren't started by church planners but by church splitters. Let me tell you a little bit about how one church got started. One church was started because a local church that I grew up in, that I love, it's First Baptist Church downtown, they decided, you know what, we want to be able to reach people that would never ever come through the doors of a big church like ours. Through all the stained glass, not that there's anything wrong with that, all the organ music, no, there's nothing wrong with that. A lot of people would never show up here. So let's take some of our people and let's fling them out at exit one. And that is exactly what happened. Uh, first, first Baptist, they ended up hiring me on and they paid my salary and I started working and loved it. And we started getting a launch team together. In fact, some of you, you're here this morning and you were part of that launch team. I mean, what, I mean, what a great ride God has given us over the past five and a half years. But let me tell you, it got to a point where we had to come up with a name. You remember that? We had to come up with a name, and, uh, and, and I remember my, a, a godly dear friend of mine, his name was Jim, Jim Phillips. Uh, he says, what about one church? And I was like, I like it a lot. <laughs> and, and let me tell you uh, where that name came from. Yeah, we were going to be coming to exit one, but it all started with a verse in the Bible. Let me read it to you. This is John chapter 17, verse 20. And Jesus is speaking the night before he's betrayed, the night before he gets killed, all right? He is, he's teaching this, and he's saying, he's, he starts praying, and guess what he's going to pray for? He's going to pray for you. He's going to pray for me. I love this. Jesus says, I am praying not only for the, these disciples, the 12 he had with them, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. Guess what? That's y'all. That's me. He is praying for us here. I pray that they will all be What? Now, when you think of most Christians and most churches, do you think of unity? Probably not. 
But Jesus' prayer is that I, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I, talking about are one, as you are in me. Father, I'm going to keep on reading, I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are. You see all the ones in that? We read that verse and we said, that's it. It's one church. That's it. We want to be unified. I love that. I mean, and I love this because how can so many people from so many different backgrounds, so you, some of you grew up in church, some of you didn't. Some people came from mainline Protestant denominations. Some of you um, are Pentecostal. Some of you are Catholics. Some of you are, um, uh, came from Muslim backgrounds. Some of you uh, were atheists. Um, others, uh, you have different temperaments. Uh, some people, um, you, you like country music and others you don't. All right, there's some of you who, um, who have all of these different races and different languages. How can we all be one? How can we be unified? Well, let me tell you, I'm a musician. I meant to bring my trumpet up here today, but I'm, I, I didn't do that. So I, let me tell you, as a musician, one of the things I loved doing is playing in orchestras. I play trumpet. And when you have a hundred-piece orchestra... You have all of these different temperaments and nature, but you can get people from all over the world, bring them together, and they can play as one. Why is that? Let me show you. This is called a tuner. All right? This is a tuner, and everything is, is, is tuned to a frequency. And the frequency is A. This one right here. I turned up my volume. Hang on a second. A440, and what A440 is, is it's a frequency. When everything is tuned to A440, whether it be a piano, a clarinet, a trumpet, an oboe, which an oboe, eh, um, just telling you, kind of sounds like a dying cat. I'm just telling you. But you can get all of those all of those instruments playing together because they are unified to one pitch, A440. And what's so cool about this is when we are unified around Jesus Christ, we can, yes, we may disagree in small things, but the thing that we agree on is Jesus. And there is unity there. I love that. Let's keep on going. Acts chapter 4, verse 32. All the believers were united in heart and in mind. They felt that what they owned was not their own. So they what? So they shared everything that they had. Another mark of a healthy church was that they had crazy generosity. They were all in, not just for God, but all in for each other. No one saw their possessions as their own. They realized that it, they may have gotten where they were at by different boats, but that we're all in the same boat now. And this idea that they were generous, imagine that. I mean, that flies in the face of me and mine mentality, doesn't it? Man, in fact, one of the very first words a, 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 a terrible two-year-old will know and say will be what? Mine. And this totally, um, by the way, y'all pray for my wife. We had two kids get sick last night out of three. So um, she's at home probably sleeping, and hopefully the kids are too. But a couple of weeks ago, I brought uh, home drinks for all the boys because I'm a great dad. 
And um, I'm also very humble. Um, and uh, it ended up uh, bringing, uh, my, my middle son, Jed, loves Diet Coke. Um, my, my, my littlest one, Bing, he loves Coke, and I love Coke. So I ended up bringing them Cokes home, and it was great. Had a great time. I drank all of my Coke really fast. And then I looked over to my son, Bing, my five-year-old, and says, can, I, can Daddy have some of your Coke? And he said, that's mine. And I kind of puffed up, and I thought, how is that yours? I bought it. I brought it home. I gave it to you. I unwrapped the straw and put it in your drink. How can that be yours? And I started getting so frustrated, and it's like God was whispering in my ear, Chris, how many times have you done that with your stuff? That that's mine. It's my needs, my stuff, my house, my car, my investments, my 401K. That's mine. What's fascinating about the early church is that no one really saw everything through the lens through this M-I-N-E. But it was O-U-R-S. It was ours. Because it was H-I-S. It was his. They viewed everything through a different paradigm. They were so focused on becoming an all-in movement that they didn't see anything as theirs. And now let me tell you, this isn't communism or socialism. If this is kind of your first time, you're like, that kind of sounds like a communist or socialist regime. That's not what we're saying. Communism is where people force you from the top down, outside in. That's not what happened here. This bubbled from the inside out. This is when somebody saw that somebody had a need and another person said, let me help you meet that need. And how we become unified is by viewing our resources, our money, our time, our energies, not from a me standpoint, but from a we standpoint. Look at verse 33. The apostles testified. That word testified, it just means they talked. Kind of a churchy word, but they talked powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's great blessing was upon them all. Look at the cause and effect here. Because they were unified, because they were generous, and because they talked about Jesus, look what happened. God's great blessing was upon them all. That's the great marks of a great church. Unity, generosity, testimony. Look at verse 34 and 35. There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell would sell those um, would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give them in need. So people's needs were being met because they shifted from being a consumer, what can I get out of it, to being a contributor and a follower, what can I give towards it? And people's needs were being met because they sold stuff and they brought the money to the church, to the apostles, and then they distributed it. You see, when we pool our resources, we can do more together than we ever could separate. And then they give us two examples. We're only going to be able to get one of them. But today, when you go home, if you get it sometime this week, I want you to read Acts chapter 5. And that's going to give us the second example and give you a heads up. It's a negative example. But in the first example we're going to really stick to today, there's a guy by the name of Barnabas. Barnabas. This is what happens in Acts chapter 4, verse 36. For instance, there was Joseph... The one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means, by the way, the word Barnabas means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. So where was his home? That's going to be important later. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to 
the apostles. Now, Barnabas, this guy, that's not his given name. His real name is Joseph. But the nickname he got was the son of encouragement. By the way, what's some of the nicknames your friends call you? That's what I'm thinking, right? It's like some of you, it ain't a son of an encouragement. Maybe something else, all right? But the, I'm telling you, this guy, his name, his nickname, his, the part of his DNA was son of encouragement. That was the characteristic of who this guy Joseph, also called Barnabas, was. It's how he lived his life. He was an encouragement to others. He, and it wasn't just because he had words of encouragement. His lifestyle became an encouragement to others. So he was known as the son of encouragement. Now, don't gloss over what he did. He owned some land on the island of Cyprus. How many of y'all ever been to an island? Anyone? All right. Name, what's some of the islands you've been to? Goat Island? <laughs> what? You've been to Cyprus. That's so cool. That's awesome. Anyone else? Jamaica, right? I know where y'all been. I'm just telling you. I'm, anybody been to Hawaii? Yes. I got to turn this off. I, I mean, there's, here's, let me tell you what you already know about an island. If you own property on an island, you are rich, right? Because it's, it, it, it's just, you don't have that much land on an island. I remember um, my dad works for the airlines and we went to Hawaii when I was in sixth grade. And I remember talking to people uh, who live on the island of either Oahu, Hawaii. That's actually making a little bit more land, you know, because of the volcanoes. I've been to Maui. Um, But here's the thing. They said, whatever house you own on the mainland, you add a hundred grand to it. And that same house is in Hawaii. I mean, that's expensive. And that was like 25 years ago. I'm sure things hadn't went down. Right? I mean, this guy Barnabas, I mean, he, 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 think about Barnabas' situation. There must have been a difficult thing for him to sell property that he owned on an island. Imagine that you had a house or a condo or a piece of land. You've worked very hard to own that property. Maybe you inherited it. Either way, it belongs to you. And you choose to sell it. And not only do you choose to sell it, but the one thing that you've worked so hard to get, you choose to sell it and you give every single penny away for the sake of others. I mean, that type of generosity is always coupled with a big faith behind it. You know, there's this faith in Barnabas that is beyond what you and I can see. Barnabas had such a huge faith, it caused him to do something so radically generous for the sake of others. Barnabas chose to trust God, listen to this, with something he didn't have anymore. He chose to put his faith and trust in God who would be able to deliver a sense of security that he no longer had, of what he used to own. I mean, I tried to put myself in Barnabas's place, and I could think of a million reasons why I wouldn't want to do what he did. I mean, there would be so much resistance in me that if I were to do that, I mean, where would I live? I mean, what does my future hold? Where are my kids going to go to college? There would be all kinds of fear and resistance that would build up inside of me because, listen to this, when it comes to a more radical generosity, what's behind that is always a strong sense of faith. Our big idea today is this. Faith gives us the ability to move from consumers to contributors. It's faith. 
Let me dig down on this because some of you are like, yeah, I don't know if I buy it. Listen to this. The, the very first time you hear Barnabas's name in Scripture, it's this one right here. But let me tell you, church history, and, and again, this is church history, tells us that Barnabas was also the rich young ruler that came to Jesus. And there was this rich young ruler that approached Jesus, and he said, Jesus, what can I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you got to, you know, you got to obey the scriptures, you know, love people. And he, and he listed three or four. And, and then this guy, this rich young ruler said, I've already done all of that. And Jesus, because he could peer right into somebody's heart and soul, he says, one thing you lack. I want you to go and sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. And the Bible tells us that this rich young ruler, this guy walked away because he was very rich. And many people, church historians believe that the guy who walked away from Jesus is Barnabas. And if that's the case, then Barnabas finally got it. If that's the case, Barnabas finally made the shift of being just a consumer to a contributor. And that took huge faith on Barnabas's part. This was a defining moment. This was an all-in moment. This event that literally became a pivot point in which God could and did use him. This moment defined the legacy that he would leave. And it was a moment that was marked by incredible faith. I believe that the defining moment, this, this all-in moment that Barnabas had is something that us as a church are coming up on and we're right on the edge of it. So I, I, I'm, there's a lot of things going on right now at One Church that I'm so excited about. Um, one of the things that we've been talking about with our staff and with our elders is where is our next step as a church and, and the, this broad vision. Before I share anything, I'm not going to share anything today. But one of the things I'm asking you to do is for the next 40 days, I'm asking you to pray. And that God, through the Holy Spirit, would be able to get our hearts right and to give us direction of exactly where we're going as a church. We have an idea. We have a plan. But let me tell you, we want to be able to dedicate our plans to the Lord so that they will succeed. And if this ain't God's plan, then we want God to shut it down. But one of the things we are asking you is for the next 40 days that once a day for five minutes to be able to pray. And here's when I want you to pray. I need it to be on a 40-minute mark so that you can remember it. Either 640, 740, some of you who have no jobs, 1140, okay? Whatever it works, it don't matter. I ain't, I ain't judging. I, I'm loving. All right, but sometime once a day for on that forty minute mark, they say, you know what, God, I want you to do something in and through and amazingly great through one church. And Lord, I pray that you would give us the wisdom and the discernment. And what I, I, I'm going to I'm going to close, and I, I'm going to ask you to make that commitment. In fact, if you're on U version right now, you can just scroll down to the bottom and you can sign up to do that right there. Or you can go to our website. There's a graphic that says, click here for the 40-day prayer challenge. You can, I mean, please do that. Because let me tell you, we know that nothing is accomplished apart from God. That's huge. That's big. And we want God to do huge and big things through us. And in order for that to happen, we have to be praying. All right? So some of you, you're, you're like, okay, Chris, I don't think I have like a big faith like Barnabas. I, I don't think I could ever do that. And some of you are you're thinking, okay, I'm telling you, you need to go sell your houses. And I'm not saying that at all. I'm just asking you, I want you to ask God, God, what do you want from me and for me?
What is that? And I think most of us, we look at Barnabas and we're like, that, this, that's just, that, that ain't me. I don't have that type of big faith like Barnabas had. But you know what? In this passage, this doesn't really tell us how big Barnabas' faith was. And and it's not even about the bigness of your faith. Did you know that? Um, It's easy for us to say, because I don't have a big faith, I'm not going to be able to do something big for God. But I think we're really focusing on the wrong thing. Because Jesus said this. He says, if you had the faith of, uh, anybody know? Mustard seed. Yeah, you guys got that. A mustard seed is really small. You could be able to tell this mountain, go over there, and the mountain will do it. It's not about the bigness of your faith. Let me tell you, I love this. I like flying. And I'm going to show you some pictures. Um, my, uh, my dad works for the airlines. In fact, he's here. Um, and he, uh, because he works for the airlines, like until I was 21, we, get, we got to fly free anywhere in the world. I, I mean, it was fun. And I remember going on a 747, this double-decker plane, and we went to, I've been to Hawaii, I've been on L-1011s, DC-9s, DC-10s, 757, 767. Um, I've been on all of these really big planes, and I've been to Colorado, I've been to North Kakalaki, uh, I've been uh, to South Carolina, I've been to New York City, I've been to Hawaii, as I'd mentioned, uh, I've been to Florida, um, I've been, there's an l 1011 right there. These are massive planes. And let me tell you, I've never been afraid of flying. Uh, I have flown literally hundreds of times. Um, There it is. I I have great faith in in big planes. Here's where my problem comes. When, When I go to this one right here, when I see this plane and I'm bigger than the plane, I'm going, no, sir. Right? You, I mean, somebody says, hey, come up at a Piper Cub. And I'm like, I don't think so. Or, or, or maybe this plane right here. I mean, when, when, uh, when you see these small planes, I get small faith. But when I get a, a big plane, I get big faith. In fact, when I'm in a plane like this, this is what I think what's going to happen. That right there. Right? I don't want to be part of that statistic. But you, and see, what's, what's changed It's not my my faith has changed. What's changed? The reason why I don't mind being on a big plane is because I got big faith because I'm riding in a big plane. Let me tell you, this is this is amazing. But I I think so many times we have a small faith because we are are partnered with a small God, and that's the reason we struggle with faith. Um, it it has nothing to do with our faith and everything to do with whom we put our faith and trust in. Do we have a big God? If you have a big God, then we can have a big faith. And you see, Barnabas, he had this picture of a big God. And he realized that God was in control of everything. And he wanted to do whatever he could do to experience a big God. And that enabled him to give of himself to give his possessions, to even give his life, we're going to see later. This is what Hebrews 11.1 1 says. What is faith? Now, faith is being what? Sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. See, when it comes to Barnabas' faith, we don't know if it was a big faith. We don't know if it was a small faith. But what we know is this. His faith was connected to God. A big God. And that's a big deal. Let me tell you this. If you're taking notes, write this down. It is better to have a little faith in a big God 
than it is to have a big faith in something other than God. Nobody agreed with me, so I'm going to say that one more time. I can stay up here as long as I need to, guys. It is better for us to have a little faith in a big God than a big faith in something other than God. Thank you. I can continue. Why is it? Why is it that someone would have to give in order to show faith? Well, these two things are not connected, right? Well, the Bible, did you know the Bible speaks more about money than almost any other thing? I gotta be honest with you, I hate talking about money and possessions. I would rather be beat twice. Because I know a lot of people, the reason why they don't come to church is because all the thing they're worried about is my wallet. But it, we're not want, wanting something from you. I believe that God is wanting something for you because in order for us to have a big faith, that is tied to our giving. You see, God knows something about this, that our greatest temptation is to put our faith in, in our money, in our possessions, and to trust in money rather than trusting on God with our money. I mean, if you had a dollar bill, in God we what? Yeah. I mean, but so many times... We're not that way. Did you know that Christians, non-Christians, people who don't go to church, are more generous with their money than Christians are? That came from a George Barna poll. And it's just like, that shouldn't be the case. And that may be the reason why we don't see God do big things in our life, because we have this teeny, teeny, weeny faith. See, um, it's it's when our stock market crashes that we feel the sense of anxiety. When our economy is down, our emotions are down. When we lose our job, we lose hope. Why? And we, we get this insecurity because we don't think we put faith in money as long as we have what? Money. That's exactly right. All right? But the moment that money goes away, we realize how much faith we actually have in money. Money brings security. But and I would just say that's faith. Our stuff, our money, is connected to our faith. And that's why God tells people to give. To, to give willingly, to give intentionally. Because when people give, it creates a little bit of a vacuum. And, 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 and it's a little place where we have to trust God. Okay, God, this is not in my budget anymore. This has been taken out and it's been given to other people. It's been given to you. So I need you to be able to fill in that gap. I mean, and I love that because that creates opportunities for our faith to grow. When we move from just being a consumer to a contributor, God does something big with our faith. And you know what's so cool about this as I close? This isn't the last time we see Barnabas. This is the first. Because we're going to catch up with Barnabas a little bit later. And I'd love for you to continue to read the book of Acts. Because he's going to show up when this guy by the name of Saul, who gets his name changed to Paul, who liked killing Christians. And uh, uh, he actually came to know Jesus. And he came to all the disciples, the guys that hung out with Jesus. And it was like, hey, I'm here. I'd love to be able to be a part of your group. And they were all like, "Mm -mm." because nobody trusted him. They thought, you know what, he's going to get in here, he's going to kill us. You know the one person who did trust Paul? Barnabas. And Barnabas encouraged him and put his arm around Paul and gave Paul the time of day when no one else would. I mean, that's just the beginning of Barnabas' ministry because after that, Paul and Barney, they hook up and they start traveling. They start going on missionary journeys. You want to know the very first place they go to? Cyprus. 
Because Barnabas sends Paul and brings Paul to some of his friends and folks and loved ones. And they start telling everybody about Jesus. And they planted dozens of churches. And where did that all start? Where is the very first time we meet Barnabas? Right here. And Barnabas is like, hey, listen, this ain't mine. This is ours. Let me help someone out. Man, I love that attitude. And even when Paul and Barnabas, when they kind of get split up and they disagreed over John Mark, it was Barnabas that took John Mark and mentored and loved and encouraged him. And again, plant dozens and dozens of churches. I love that because we see the beginning of Barnabas' ministry. It started with a big faith and a big God where he moved from just being a consumer to a contributor. As we close, let me just give you three action points and challenge you in three ways today. And the first one is to pray. I challenge you to take that 40-day prayer challenge. In fact, one of the things we're going to be doing is we're going to be going through this book called The Circle Maker. How many of y'all have read this book? Great book, isn't it? I love, love, love this book. I've read it three times. This is going to be my fourth time. But the whole premise behind this book is circling those obstacles that's in front of us and and God seeing, removing those obstacles. So one of the things we're going to be doing starting next week is we're going to be having some Circle Maker books out there that you guys can pick up and you can read. But we want you for the next 40 days to just ask God. I mean, God honors big prayers and big prayers honor God. God honors bold dreams and bold dreams honor God. God honors a huge vision. And when we, when we dream big dreams and have huge visions and when we pray bold prayers, God is honored. And that's what we're going to be asking in this next 40 days. And then at the end of the summer, I'm going to be coming back with you and we're just going to share. And it's our prayer that God would get our hearts right and to be able to get our focus totally on him. So I'm asking you, I want you to take that, that 40 day prayer challenge. There's a way that you can go on our website. You can sign up and you can, uh, you can just say, here's my dream for one church. And we'd love to be able to see that. So please do that. The second thing is this is to give, you know, I was going to say that, but to give, not only just give your finances, but to give yourself. You know, the thing, I want you to find a church that you can get behind in. If this ain't, if one church is not that church, we hope we are. But if we're not, then go to another church. But this is not, again, something we want from you. It's want, something we want for you. And find a church that you can get behind their mission. I mean, we believe Jesus' mission was to go after the lost. And that is our mission here at One Church. We want to be able to, to train and educate and worship and to love on people. Um, so, um, I would just ask you to give, I mean, it's because you give, let me tell you, we've been able to help people recently with mortgages. We've been able to help people recently through loss of job. We've been able to help people recently through rent. I mean, we help people through, um, through our children's ministry, uh, through, uh, some of you may not know this, but when we do small groups, we actually help pay for the babysitter so that people can be able to come and be a part of small groups because we believe in small groups that much. We, we want to be able to give to missions. We want to just continue to give more and more and more. And we do that because we're percentage givers, and we're asking you to do that as well. So we want you to give, but not just give to one church. We talked about last week, you know, when you see that, that homeless person on the side of the road with the cardboard, and many times we don't look in their eyes, we want you to be generous to them. 
Because Christians, Christ followers, we should be known by, remember, our unity and our generosity and the way we tell people about Jesus. And then lastly, I want you to serve. Serve other people. Be more interested in others. Jesus said in Mark 10, 45, Jesus said about himself that I did not, Jesus says, Jesus says, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. Do you know that you and I are most like Jesus when we serve other people, not from what we can get from them, but what we can give? I met with Kenny York this past week, and one of the things that we want to be able to, um, to, to partner with them, with Mana Cafe, is we want to continue to be able to help feed the homeless. And he says, man, how can, we, how can we partner with one church to be able to do that? And we want to see that happen. We want to see that happen. Um, I tell you, this, this whole thing is that I, we just want your faith to be big. We do. And I don't know why, I don't know how, and I'm not even too pleased with it. But somehow, our wallet is tied to our heart. In fact, Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And if God, if you want to see God start doing big things in your life, it just may start with what's on your back hip. I don't know why. I don't know how. But in Barnabas' case, we see God moving through Barnabas. From being just being a consumer to a contributor. 